0: Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible, and I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, Bible truth listeners. I truly hope today finds you well. 2020 has got to go. This year has been the worst hurricane season I have ever experienced. I can tell you this, um, New Orleans, Louisiana was finally hit this year. God has protected Louisiana and New Orleans, the New Orleans area this year. However, Hurricane Zeta finally hit home. Now, I do not live in New Orleans. I have family that does i live in the city next to new orleans and we were hit as well however i sustained no damage my family did not sustain any damage i was without power for one day however i was at work when the storm hit because i am required to be at work if we have such an event as a hurricane but i can tell you it was by far the worst I experienced while at work now although we did not sustain much damage in our personal lives I still have staff members family and friends without power and that storm hit Wednesday night or late Wednesday evening it passed over and was completed uh, probably about nine o'clock PM and I still have staff members and friends without power. I was without power for just one day. And I still say this to God be the glory because when the smoke cleared, we were still standing. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank God that I didn't lose uh, any family members or any friends or staff members. And anyone who lost property, you can replace property. I don't care much about property. I take care of my personal things, but if I lose them, I just lose them because I can always replace what I purchased. And so can you. Now, with that said, we will be reading and touring the story of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman in the Old Testament. And we, it is unknown who wrote the story of Ruth. However, Jewish traditions ascribes it to be Samuel, the prophet Samuel. And it may have been written between 1050 B.C. and 500 B.C. Now, the theme of Ruth is God's sovereign intervention brings universal redemption. Praise God. Now, scholars differ regarding the date of the book's writing, but its historical setting is obvious. Ruth occurs during the period of the judges as a part of those events that occurred between the death of Joshua and the rise of Samuel's influence, probably between 1150 and 1100 B.C. Now, rabbinic tradition holds that Samuel wrote the book in the latter half of the 11th century BC, while more recent criticism suggests a much later postalistic date about 500 BC. Now, there is sufficient evidence in the language of the book, as well as its references to unique customs dating to the 12th century BC to recommend acceptance of the earlier date. It is also reasonable to suppose that Samuel who witnessed the decline of Saul's rule and was directed by God to anoint David, King David, as God's heir apparent to the throne could have penned this himself. Now the lovely story would already have attracted oral retelling among the people of Israel, and the concluding genealogy would have secured a link with the patriarchs, thus giving a ready answer to all in Israel who would desire their king's family background. Now, almost every commentator observes the book of Ruth as a study in the Savorn of God emphasizing the sustaining mercy of God, God's grace, which brings a fruitful end to a story that begins with famine, death, and loss. Now, unfortunately, such observations are often made on the basis of the recurrent laments of Naomi as she proposes the Lord as having been against her. And we will cover that when we get to these chapters. Now, Ruth only has four chapters. Now, twice in her Lamentations, Naomi uses the name the Almighty with reference to God, emphasizing his irresistible might and sovereign power against her. However, it is not necessary to presume that Naomi's viewpoint is meant to be understood as a spiritual revelation intended as doctrine. Rather, her words are perhaps best understood as the historical record of what she said in her bewilderment. This adjustment in viewing her words seems pivotal to a sound understanding. It does not seem consistent with the revelation of the whole of the scripture and its disclosure of the nature of God to presume that the disastrous things in this book were either intended or initiated by God. It is no different from when we covered the story of Job. All the bad things that were happening to Job, Job thought God was doing it to him when in fact the scripture revealed something different. God was not doing those things to Job. Satan was. And neither did God do all of these mishaps to Naomi, and we will cover that that story when we get to the scriptures. Now, the famine in chapter one, verse one was the natural byproduct of sin, a judgment imposed by the people upon themselves through their disobedience. Now, the Lord had previously warned that the land itself would turn against them if they were unfaithful to him, and this is read and covered and confirmed in Deuteronomy 28, 15, 16, 23, 24, and verse 38 through 40. Further, Elimelech's choice to move his family to the country of Moab in chapter 1, verse 2 is not evidenced as being God's direction, but simply his own decision. Why suggest that the events that follow his and his son's deaths are something of God's direct providence. Now, there is more reason to propose that these unfortunate happenings, while not outside God's omniscience, are not direct divine judgments, but rather the natural result of exposure to circumstances outside the canopy of divine promise. God's protective canopy is to those who remain obedient to him in the land of his appointment. Okay. And I need to say that again. God's protective canopy is to those who remained obedient to him in the land of his appointment. Now, Naomi's belief as to what was happening to her represents more of a folklore theology, though obviously a sincere believing woman. She nonetheless, reveals vulnerability to the practice common throughout history, the blaming or assigning to God's will, those things that still kill and destroy his people and over which unaided mankind has no power. You all know, Jesus said back in John chapter 10, verse 10, if I'm not mistaken, the thief came to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life. So we have to remember just because bad things are happening to us and because God is God and he has all power, we have to remember that the devil is still running loose on the earth realm. Okay. Or, or in the earth realm and he is seeking whom he may devour. Now, instead of blaming God, um, we can look at three things. Number one, the fruit of the general curse resulting from man's fall back then, because we are not under a curse today or two, the product of the flesh when having given place to its own will. However, however, innocent or malicious, the intent, okay. Or three, the direct and assailing efforts of our adversary, the devil. The book of Ruth demonstrates the sovereignty of God and is not minimized by these observations. Rather, what is understood is the objective of God's abhorrent grace and power. His almightiness is not revealed as man's opponent, but rather as man's deliverer. That is what we need to understand in the body of Christ, that if we seek God diligently, he rewards us. He does not punish us today because we are under grace. Now, he overthrows the restrictive or damning difficulties or devices into which we fall as the result of our sin. People don't want to hear that. But that is the reason a lot of us are struggling and going through issues is because of our sin, the flesh or the devil. Now, Ruth is a story that is so lovely so kind and complete it is a complete work on a small scale now this poignant fascinating emotionally gripping and historically significant narrative might be called the crown jewel of the old testament now herein is not only a literary masterpiece but a record of the genealogy of david yes the crowned king of Israel, appointed by God to sire the line leading to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and his royal and endless rule. Now, I will be reading from the New Living Translation today. And if I didn't mention it already, Ruth has only four chapters, okay? Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, um, it doesn't matter what version of the Bible you have. In the end, we will end up in the same place. You may see some different wordings in your Bible, but it doesn't matter because they should be synonymous with the words I am reading. So with that said, get your Bibles turn to chapter one in the book of Ruth, if you are not already there. And I will commence to reading. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Moab is associated with the Canaanite nation. Moab housed black people, okay? Taking his wife and two sons with him. Verse two, the man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Jewish people. They were Aphrodites. Now, Aphrodites are considered to be fruitful people, meaning hardworking people, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Now, the Bible doesn't record how he died, why he died. They didn't say he was killed. The Bible only says that Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Verse 4. The two sons married Moabite women, meaning they married black women. Okay. There was no issue with this. Um, One married a woman named Orpah and the other, a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, verse five, both Malan and Killian died. The Bible doesn't record how they died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband, verse six. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Now crops is how the Jews obtained their wealth, okay? So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland, verse seven. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Verse 8, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. Verse 9, May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage, meaning another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Verse 10, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Verse 11, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? Verse 12, no, my daughters, return to your parents' home for I am too old to marry again. And even if they, and even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Verse 13, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than For you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Now, let me clarify verse 13. Just because Naomi said the Lord himself has raised his fist against me doesn't mean so. Now, I should note that God never speaks in the book of Ruth and nor does his prophet. We don't have a prophet speaking on behalf of God because back then God only spoke through his prophets and Naomi is making this statement, but I want you to understand it doesn't mean it's true. It's no different from today. Just like I mentioned in my introduction, we have people that accuse God of doing bad things to them when in fact it's not him. Okay. Verse 14. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, oh God, (laughs) but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Verse 15, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods with a little G. Because the Moabites, although Naomi and her family um, relocated there, they were pagan worshipers. They did not worship the true and living God, the God of Israel. Okay, which is the God who created the heavens and the earth. But she told them to just go back home and go back to their families and to their God. Now, at the end of the verse, she tells Ruth, you should do the same. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God with a capital G will be my God. Verse 17, wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth was loyal to her mother-in-law. Do y'all see this? Ruth was loyal. She loved her mother-in-law. It is clear she loved her husband. She loved her father-in-law and she did not want to leave Naomi. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. She left it alone. Verse 19, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Myra, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Now, Myra means some type of disfigurement. Now, there is no recording that Naomi was disfigured, but she was old. She was wrinkled. She had wrinkles. So this doesn't mean, and I want you all to be clear, because oftentimes we have an issue adding to scriptures things that are not there. Let's just say Naomi was old, okay? Okay. Verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer once again? God is not speaking through Naomi. She is just speaking and communicating how she feels. Okay, verse 21 again, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? The tragedy is she lost her husband and 10 years later she lost her two sons. It didn't say they died on the same day, but she lost her two sons 10 years later. Okay, verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter two, verse one. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Verse two. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Now, as we can see, Ruth was not lazy, honey. Now, the stalks are uh, of, of grain left behind, um, this was the law that required farmers not reap the corners of their field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. These were to be left for the poor and the stranger. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, chapter 23, verse 22, and Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. Okay. Um, Now let's move. Let me read verse 2 again. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Verse three, so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Verse four, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said, if you notice and throughout this very short and kind story, the people always include God. They greet people with may the Lord bless you. May the Lord be kind to you. May the Lord feel you, which is how we should be greeting one another today. Now, the latter part of verse 4 says, the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Verse 5, then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? He knew she was a foreigner. She was not a Jew. But if you notice, he never mentioned the color of her skin. Never. That's man with its racist behavior today. But this back in the biblical days, they never mentioned skin color. They will mention where the person is from, because if you were not a Jew back in the day, you were not considered God's people. Not because you were a foreigner, but because you worshipped idol gods. Okay, verse six. And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work. Ever since, except for a few minutes, rest in the shelter. Verse eight, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. When you gather grain, this is his kindness to a foreigner. Okay, don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. Verse nine, see which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. And the reason he warned the young men is because they did not, he did not want them to mistreat Ruth because she is a foreigner. Okay, verse 10, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to, de- to deserve such kindness? She asked, I am only a foreigner. Verse 11. Yes, I know Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. Verse 12. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done praise God for the kindness coming from his people to a foreigner. Okay. Verse 13. I hope I continue to please you, sir. She replied, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Verse 14 at mealtime, Boaz called to her that her is Ruth. Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. I'm not sure if I would have wanted to do that, dipping bread and sour wine. <laughs> so she sat with his, his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over, meaning she was full. Verse 15, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. Verse 16, and pull out some heeds of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. That's how nice Boaz was. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Because remember, she was a foreigner and they were listening to their leader. Boaz was not a king. He was just a man in authority and he had wealth because he had successful crops. Verse 17, so root gathered barley, barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain, meaning separated the grain from the from the chaff that evening, it filled an entire basket. Verse 18. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Verse 19. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. Verse 20. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Redeemers are considered to be, back then, Uh, providers and protectors of women. Okay. Leaders of the family. Verse 21. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Verse 22. Good. Naomi exclaimed, do as he said, my daughter, stay with his young women right through the, through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields. That's because she's a foreigner and you can tell she was not a Jew. Okay, but you shall be safe with him. Verse 23. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi. Now, chapter three, verse one. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for because you got to remember, Naomi was old. Uh, Verse two, Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. And the young women were people who worked for him. They were not his wives. Okay. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor, meaning separating the barley from the chaff. Verse three. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse four, be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now this, there was nothing inappropriate about this. Naomi told Ruth to lie down at his feet, not in the bed with him because you know, the minds of, of, of most people are very dirty. And like we say in America, in the gutter, but this was not an inappropriate act. Okay. Verse five, I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. Verse six, so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. And I'm going to tell you, you are getting ready to, to read just how kind and nice and appropriate Boaz was to Ruth. Verse seven, after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of the grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Verse eight, around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke, woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Verse nine, who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. Now, redeemers are, like I explained a few minutes ago, I I think, uh, providers and protectors of women, basically um, leaders of family or a female's husband. Now, Naomi's direction and and Ruth's uh, ensuring action may appear to be seductive, and inconsistent with spiritual no- uh, nobility of this book. Now, to the contrary, however, Boaz's words, everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman, okay? And and make clear that he believed her to be highly moral. I can tell you this. Ruth was completely submissive and obedient to Naomi's direction. Okay? Naomi's direction. Now, the obvious purpose uh, was that the the chill of the night would naturally awaken him in time and, and, and occasion. His discovering her at his feet was surprised, maybe translated, trembled or perhaps from the cold. Okay. now let us pick up at verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Ruth was a virtuous woman. Okay, everyone in town knew that Ruth was a nice young lady. That's why they treated her like she was one of their own. Verse 11 Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. Here we go. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman, meaning she has high moral standards. Okay. Verse 12. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Verse 13. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, meaning marry her very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. Not once did he get out the way with Ruth. Okay. Verse 14. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. She got up, meaning she got up before dawn. Okay. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Verse 15. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. He gave her food to bring home to her mother-in-law. Verse 16. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. Verse 17. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty handed. Verse 18. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Now, no one must know. I want to explain why uh, Boaz made this comment. Now, this, this was a precaution to avoid the possibility of anyone's misunderstanding Roots' actions that night, just as they could be misunderstood today. Okay, now the large measure of Bali, uh was possibly over 100 pounds. I don't know if she could carry that much, but not it. It was not unbearable for field workers, okay, because they were strong anyway. And it was not only an expression of Boaz's will to provide abundantly for Ruth, but it also provided an apparent reason for Ruth's presence, uh huh, at the threshing floor. hmm. People would conclude she came to secure a supply of grain to carry home prior to the heat of the day. Now we are getting ready to uh, close out in chapter four. I told you that Ruth was a short story, very powerful and the most kind story in the entire book. We don't see God's wrath. We don't see God's judgment. We don't see warnings coming from God's prophet. We don't see God, uh being angry or getting angry at his people, the Israelites, because they allowed a black woman to come into the camp. Ruth had already accepted the true and living God. When she told Naomi, your God will be my God. That was it. That is where Ruth was saved right there. Uh, Chapter four, verse one, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. This was another relative. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And if you notice, they were all kind people. Verse two, then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. Verse three, and Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know, Naomi, who came back from Moab, She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, Elimelech and his two sons. Verse four, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Verse five, then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And I want you to keep up with me. Not one time did this story so far, thus far mention Ruth's color and Ruth was a black woman she was a foreigner. They all knew she wasn't a Jew, but they didn't have an issue with it because she had accepted their God. Now I want you to listen to what, uh, this redeemer says next verse six. Then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, when he says this might endanger my own estate, he is talking about Uh, If Ruth has children, remember the land will be um, inherited by her sons. So that means his children (laughs) won't inherit the land and they won't be able to share it. It has nothing whatsoever. Okay. And I need to make sure I keep reiterating that had to have to do with the color of Ruth or her being a Moabite woman. It doesn't. Now, now, since the property would belong to uh, any son that Ruth bore, that is why this man made this statement. Verse seven. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. Verse eight. So the only family redeemer drew off his sandal, as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Verse nine, then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I told you all that property belonged to Naomi's husband and two sons. Verse 10. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahlon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Verse 11, then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, that's a whole nother story from whom all the nation of Israel descended from Rachel and Leah. May you prosper in Africa and be famous in Bethlehem verse 12. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. The Lord enabled this black woman to become pregnant by this Jew. And she gave birth to a son. Verse 14. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. The redeemer was Ruth's son with Boaz. May this child be famous in Israel. Verse 15. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Ruth was good to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. That was her, her, uh, in, in, in a sense, her grandson. Verse 17, the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. David who? King David. Okay. Verse 18. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Verse 19. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminabed. Verse 20, Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Verse 21, Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Verse 22, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, King David. So, for those of you who didn't know before, you now know Ruth, a black woman, was the great-grandmother of King David. Oh, my goodness. Jesus Christ came from that lineage. The mother of Jesus, Mary, came from that lineage. So the white statue you see outside of every Catholic church is incorrect. Mary was not a European white woman. She had black blood in her. So that's why this show is called Learning Bible Truth. Okay, the lineage of Mary which is the mother of Jesus, the earthly mother of Jesus came from Ruth. Okay. Now this was a short story and it was powerful and I hope you were blessed by this story. It was the most, it and not was, it is the most kind story in the entire Bible. We saw no judgment. We saw no hatred. We saw no mistreatment of a foreigner we saw a black woman being accepted by Jews. I wonder if you guys knew that. Well, guess what? If you didn't, you now know. So um, I want you guys to continue to practice social distancing when you go out, wear your mask, so that you can protect others. And if others wear their mask and social distance from you, they can protect you. So with that said, we will continue in the old Testament starting tomorrow. It's going to be maybe a six to eight part series. I will not tell you what story or what book of the Bible we will, we will be touring. You'll just have to wait and find out. So tune in tomorrow. So until tomorrow, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts and Radio Public and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.